This is Paul Schneiderman on the sixth edition of, of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio, where we're focusing on all sorts of sports issues. Today, I have a very special guest on the sixth edition. Where? Who? What? <laughs> we'll get to it, Steve. I have Steve Kelly. Steve Kelly worked as a sports journalist and writer for about 40 years, I believe. Steve is a Delaware native, graduate <laughs> of the University of Delaware. Steve worked as a sports journalist. Got to do a preamble here, Steve. Steve worked as a sports journalist and writer for various newspapers in the Northwest, including the Oregonian and Portland, before he began his long and distinguished career at the Seattle Times from, I believe, 1982 until his retirement in 2013. Steve Kelly is someone where one can use many adjectives to describe Steve as a sports columnist. Provocative, witty, intelligent, funny, insightful, but also often warm and compassionate as well. Steve is certainly an example that we do have a living and breathing First Amendment. So, Steve, right now, I know you are currently a volunteer, teacher volunteer, a high school coach. You have other hobbies and community activities you're involved in. You're also a father, husband, and now a grandfather. And first of all, thanks for coming on, Steve. Well, thanks for the introduction. Steve, uh, you grew up in uh, the Delaware area, close to Philadelphia. Yep. Why don't you give us a little quick synopsis on how you developed how, how you developed the bug to become a sports writer? Well, I'll tell you the exact day. I mean, I was always a huge sports fan. My dad always made me read the paper. I had to read um, all the opinion pieces as well as the news. He had me read the uh, op-ed page of the New York Times every day. Um, so he kind of ingrained it in me. And um, in 1960, I was 11 years old, and uh, he had just taken me to my first World Series game, Pirates and the Yankees in New York. We took the train, we were taking the train back, and we stopped at 30th Street Station in Philadelphia, and up on the hill from the station was Franklin Field. And it was about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, and the Eagles had played there at Franklin Field that day. And it was dark out, and you can see into the stadium, and, and I could see the lights on in the press box. Everybody was still up there writing, and it was just look. It was so romantic to me. This idea of covering a game. It's late at night, and the stadium's empty, and you're in the press box, and you're you're about to tell the whole city what happened. And every game after that, if I went to a Phillies game at Connie Mack Stadium, I would look in the I look in the press box. There's something, especially a night game where the lights are on. Um, you know, everybody's in there. All the Writers at the time were in white shirts and ties and hunkered over their typewriters. And um, and so I just started eventually writing letters to Stan Hockman and all the all the Philly writers. And a lot of them responded. And, and I just kept it. The juices just kept flowing. Developed a romanticized view of sports as a young kid, huh? Absolutely. Steve, so you end up at the Seattle Times in 1982. And I know that... You getting the Seattle Times was not an instant thing. Tell us how you ended up at the Seattle Times in the early 80s. Well, um, well, here's the quick story. I was working as a repairman for Sears in, in uh, Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, I had worked in a paper for a year in Pennsylvania, quit because I was going nowhere. And so I'm, I'm working for Sears and trying to figure out what I was going to do with, with the rest of my life. Um, I, I read a lot of poetry. I love poetry. I read a poem by William Stafford, who was a professor at Lewis and Clark College in Portland, great, great, great poet about Lake Chelan. And you know, I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and then it sort of spoke to me. Um, I looked it up on the map, looked at where Chelan was in the middle of Washington. I kind of studied the state a little bit and the journalism in the state. And this was right before the kingdom was built. 
Mariners were coming, Seahawks were coming, so it looks like this was a great new sports area. And I mean, my God, I'm go so, west, young man. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I'm so good. I expected when I drove across the Idaho Washington border, there would be a lineup of sports <laughs> editors there saying, "Hey, you know, come with me." So uh, instead, I was uh, driving a forklift in Chelan, uh, interviewing in newspapers. Another, it's a long story, but anyway, I met with the editor, Jim King of the Seattle Times. He told me, look, I can't, we just hit it off. He said, look, I can't give you a job here. You don't have enough experience. He got me a job the next day in Centralia, Washington. I worked in Centralia, Olympia, and then got down to Portland and got to cover the Trailblazers eventually. And that kind of was, was my big shot. Great, great background. Steve, there's a famous book called The Breaks of the Game, <laughs> written by a very famous late American author, David Halberstam. For some of the listeners who may not be that familiar with Halberstam, he wrote a lot about politics, current events, sports. And I got to tell you, I think one of the best sports books I ever read is The Breaks of the Game by David Halberstam. Halberstam in that book covers the 1979-1980 Portland Trailblazers. In that book, in this nonfiction book, there was a very young reporter by the name of Steve Kelly, who was focused in that book by Halberstam. Can you share with us, Steve, a little bit about that 7980 Blazers year and, and that book that Halberstam wrote? Well, um, first of all, David remained a great friend of mine for the rest of his life, and it was just we just passed his 10th anniversary of his death, and just a wonderful man. One of the first people to go to Vietnam and go be embedded with the troops and and talking and talk he and neil sheehan were the first two reporters basically who said this war is not working and this was like in 65 so it was almost 10 years before the end of the war uh gut really gutsy guy uh he taught it was like grad school for me um he chose when he told his his uh publishers that he wanted to do a book on the trailblazers they said you're crazy you know you want to do a book on the knicks or the celtics and he said no this is What's happening in Portland is a microcosm of what's right and wrong about the NBA, mostly what was wrong. The uh, Blazers won the championship in 77. 79, 80 was my first year covering the beat, and um, things were falling apart. And it was, it was all about money and, and, and race, and there were issues with the Trailblazers that kind of uh, pervaded the league. And he focused on them and wrote this amazing book and i mean i watched great book it, it really is a good book and you know what except you have to add a few more zeros to the salaries it's as it's like it's like reading shakespeare and it's a, it's as relevant today as it was back then this is paul schneiderman on sports and stuff with my special guest steve kelly steve you just brought up some stuff where you almost answered my next question i was going to ask you back in that 79-80 season, Halberstam focused a lot on some of the NBA issues such as drugs, contracts, player injuries, race, ownership, labor issues. Has it changed that much the last nearly 40 years? It's, I mean, yes and no. I mean, we're seeing it in football now how things really haven't changed, how perspectives haven't changed. Um, I think from the standpoint of the way that fans look at athletes, nothing's changed. The only thing is they're in some ways, they're angrier at the players because they're waking, making way more money. And, you know, I think that was manifested in Kevin Durant going from Oklahoma City to Golden State and this whole, where's your loyalty and how could you do this? And you're taking the easy way out, et cetera, et cetera. So that part hasn't changed. I think what has, and I think the drug part has changed because they're getting tested. You know, I mean, they have to be more more on their guard. And, uh, I mean, it, it was 
in that period of time when David was there, 79 to about 83, it was prevalent. I mean, every everybody was doing it. Players were calling me from the Trailblazers and saying the NBA is going to interview me about my my drug issues, and they're probably going to talk to you. Please don't say anything. Wow, interesting, <laughs> um, interesting. And and these were guys I liked. I mean, I really liked that team. I mean, we fought hard. I mean, Luke Maurice Lucas wouldn't talk to me for weeks on end, and then um, you know would say get over here this has to stop I said I never started it you know don't get um, Mo Lucas mad at you no well he he one time he balled up his fist which, which was like a catcher's mitt and said if you don't get off my case I'm going to give you one of these oh wow and I thought well if I survived I'm going to be a rich man Paul Schneider on sports and stuff with Steve Kelly Steve it was neat though you had somewhat of a supporting actor role in that book you, oh I, I in a lot of ways I think I was David's I was David's alter ego. I was the I was David in the book, right? Which was the best honor I've ever had in my life. But um, so I, I think that was my role with the book. Why well, reread the book a few years ago? It was fun to have to see you uh, mentioned throughout the book, Steve. You covered a lot of stories in your years at Seattle Times. Many many sports stories. Was the Sonics relocation battle story? Was that the most frustrating ongoing sports story you ever covered? Well, it was frustrating from several standpoints, and, and having watched, the first time I watched the movie Sonic's Gate, I mean, I have to admit, I was watching that movie thinking, I should have done more. You know, I should have written more. I should have been even harder. Um, I mean, I, I, there was a kernel of optimism in me that said, it's not going it's, it's to happen. And I still think if, if, the, if the court case had been allowed to follow through, uh, what was that, Marsha Peckman, would would have ruled in favor of uh, against the the Sonics move, and um, so that's kind of what I was hoping for. But when the when the city council rolled over and said so many stupid things and acted so stupidly and cowardly, really, that that Greg Nichols and that whole gang, um, that fired me up beyond belief. It was just for me, it was way too little, way too late. I remember, I believe, the day the relocation was announced, you wrote a column where you referred to the Oklahoma City team. You suggested the team name should be the Oklahoma City Bums. <laughs> you, you weren't very happy. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's so many places to put the blame. And I, I don't think it starts with Oklahoma City. I mean, I, and of course, I was angry at the time, but you know, Oklahoma City is sort of where we are now. You know, they're hungry for basketball. They had a taste of it when uh, New Orleans had to move after Katrina, and they just wanted they wanted more. And um, so, you know, and Clay Bennett was a, is is was and always will be a slime ball. And all those guys in Oklahoma City are, I think, are bad dudes. The the owners of the team and the 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 bit part players in in it. But the real the real villains in it were Howard Schultz, um, obviously the city council, the whole the whole government of Washington. A lot of people messed up, huh? Yeah, and I mean, uh, to me that that's where we should have placed all of our anger. And even you know some of the so Sonics hierarchy who destroyed the team with their stupid personnel moves and made the team less likely to stay because people you know attendance was dropping because the team was so bad for so many years so there are a lot of villains locally as much as there were at o way more than Oklahoma City and David Stern I didn't like the way he treated Seattle and continued to treat Seattle after the Sonics left I, I called him a bum on uh, ESPN <laughs> I think he deserved it I think he deserved it <laughs> Steve you wrote columns of the Seattle Times on many many different sports stories but I remember you focused 
some of your columns on some unsung sports figures and also some people who had a unique connection to sports, such as the late Ari Grashen, a young teenage kid who'd passed. Uh, you wrote an st- interesting story on the St. Martin's basketball coach. I believe you did some stories in Special Olympics. Did you enjoy, Steve, in, on some levels, doing those type of stories rather than stories about big-name athletes and those sports Those are my favorite stories. And the compliment that I always enjoyed the most were when people came up to me and said, I don't really read the sports page, but I read your column. And, uh, I mean, there's so many great stories to tell where sports is a link, you know, and and the connection I often had with my father was through sports. And I think sports makes lifelong um, no question. connections and it teaches lifelong lessons. And guys like Ari Grashen, who I met uh, when he was 16, and he had just um, been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, it's, it's guys who fight like he did. And somehow, you know, I spent a, almost a year with Ari, his last year of his life. And it's hard to, it's hard Seemed to like say a terrific this. kid. Never knew him. Seemed like a terrific kid. Yeah. Um, never felt any self-pity. And, I, you know, I hate to say it, we, we, some of his friends are still my friends. They're in their early 30s now. It's, it's really been kind of fun to watch them grow up. But we had so much fun during that year, including Ari, and probably because of Ari. And so many great things happened. Uh, I took him to a Mariner game, took him in the, to the clubhouse door after the game, went inside. Lou Pinello was, was the manager. I told Lou about Ari. Luke and Ari was a wise ass. I mean, wise guy. He was really a wise guy. And I brought Lou out to introduce him to Ari. And Ari just started. Ari, uh, Ari started grilling him on the game. <laughs> like, why'd you pull Panetta Panero in the, in the eighth inning? That's he was great. pitching so well. And Lou answered his questions like he was a, a reporter. And then Lou took him into the clubhouse. He was Ari was in a wheelchair by that time, and told him. Introduced him to the team, told him all about the team. It was just amazing. And Great Desmond story. Mason, a Sonic player, came to Ari's house like a week before he died and sat in the bed with all the friends around him, holding Ari's hand and just telling stories. I mean, it just there were Touching moments. Story. There were moments like that. So, Steve, when you retired from the Times in 2013, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You're, you'll, <laughs> you'll express your feelings to me in a minute. But you, you, you express your little burnout of how sports journalism had evolved. You had mentioned that you were getting a little burnout of some of the online hecklers. Tell uh, us. Yeah, the level of discourse. Yeah, the got, level of discourse. Was that? Tell, tell me, were you really that burned out when you got out? Well, I'm, I wasn't burned. I mean... I love the process. I've always, you know, the interviews, putting stories together, um, you know, the the excitement when something happened and I had to express my opinion on it. I love that stuff. I never, I, I mean, I would still be doing that if I could do it in my basement and I was the only one who read it. I got real tired of having a, a target on my back and I got tired of what people were saying to me, to my face, yelling to me from the stands at games and you know, what they were saying about me on... on in uh, Seattle? I mean, Seattle's not known as that hardcore of a sports town. I mean, that's the shocking thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, in that respect, it was just like Philly or New York or any other city. Isn't that something? And I was, you know, I just felt like I was done with that. More, more than that, though, there were many things I wanted to do that I couldn't do when I was writing. Sure. And, was, and once we figured out that I could afford to quit, um, I was out of there. Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff with my special guest, Steve Kelly. Steve, I want to ask you something here, and I'm a Seahawks fan. I know you are as well. Do you think the local sports media in Seattle, for the most part, is covering the Seahawks in an excessive manner? In other (laughs) words, are there some other interesting sports stories that are not getting covered enough or getting covered at all because the Seahawks coverage is so heavy right now? 
This was another thing that kind of got me out of the business was it, it seems like everything is being judged on clicks and on how many people are reading your story. And, you know, Matt Calkins could write a, a column tomorrow that says Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson for 20, 20 inches, for a thousand words, just Russell Wilson. And people would read it and people would say, that was, that was unique. I like that. You know, they, he really got a different angle on Russell Wilson. I mean, that's how absurd it is right now. And that's what the Times is reacting to. Hey, we get readers when we write about the Seahawks, no matter what we write. Um, it's, it's a gold mine. Is and, it sacrilegious for me to say that Seahawk coverage might get a little boring after a while? You know, quite frankly, and I haven't talked to the guys about this, but it's got to be boring for them, for the writers, because, it, you know, even the seasons are starting to have a sameness. Right. Start out slowly. What's wrong with the team? The offensive right. line's a mess. Oh, my God, the sky's falling. And eventually they piece it together, and it's like, here we go again. We're on the, we're on the right track. And it's kind of true with the Mariners, too. You know, the Mariners always, at some point in the season, you know, Matt Caucus wrote a column in June saying they're going to make the playoffs. And it's like, hey, Matt, you haven't been around long enough. You, know, yeah, you don't know the history here. Um, but it was actually, you know, it was a good column. And at the time, it had some merit. But, you know, the, the, the Mariners are a boring team to write about because it seems so much the same. But you're, I think you're right about the Seahawks. But, I mean, it's a business decision. That's why they're doing Get it. it. Get it. All right, Steve, you retire in 2013. I want to get your take snapshot take on some sports matters have come up since you retired. And I think a lot of us wonder, how would Steve Kelly write a column on some of these subjects right now? Let me start with the whole Kaepernick NFL national anthem. Give me your 30, 60 second take on the whole situation. Okay. It's not a protest against the flag. It's not a protest against the anthem, even though the anthem was written by a guy who believed in slavery, Francis Scott Key, who was not a great human being, and he wrote a horrible song. But that's not, that's beside the point, that's not what they're protesting. They're protesting the obvious and blatant inequities and, and, uh, and injustices that are going on in this country. And they've been very, very eloquent on what they're protesting. And you know, the numbers, the, the facts speak for themselves. They're not saying every cops uh, should be in jail, but too many cops are ki- too many white cops are killing black kids and getting off on it, get, getting off scot-free on it. And, you know, it, a whole lot hasn't changed in this country regarding race. And, you know, guys like uh, Malcolm Jenkins with the Eagles and Michael Bennett and Richard Sherman and... Uh, you salute those guys. Doug Baldwin. Pardon me? You salute all those guys. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Th- th- you know, they're not. And, you know, it, it's, I mean, the whole argument is so, the people who are against it, I think, for the most part, do very little reading on it. They just see these guys, they hate it, you know, how dare you disrespect the flag. The flag represents the right to protest. And they're, like I say, they're not protesting the, what the soldiers did in Afghanistan, Iraq, Vietnam, World War II. It's nothing like that. They're protesting stuff that's going on now that's getting worse. And you have 70% of the players in the league are black and 80-plus percent of the fans are white. And the, the backlash to the black players who are protesting is almost like making the case for them, I think. We could talk about this for hours, oh, yeah, Steve. For sure. I want to move on to another subject that's getting a lot of local attention. Where are you in this whole Kirina versus Soto debate? And do you think Kirina could work? It looks like that's where the city's headed. Well, I mean, it'll work. I mean, I'm sure they'll put together a beautiful building. Um, 
I, I'm, I'm on the board of Seattle Shakespeare Company, and I went to the Seattle Shakespeare play last night, Julius Caesar. Caesar. Great play. Little, little plug. Great play. Seattle Shakespeare at Cornish Playhouse. It ends this weekend. Three more days to watch it. Um, very, very quiet night at the bottom of the hill, right by Key Arena. And we, we're lucky. We can walk to these things. But looking at the traffic coming out on Mercer Street, where maybe 2,000 people were at the center that night, we'll multiply that by 19 to so it's 19,000 20,000 people leaving Key Arena. I don't know. Tuesday afternoon on Mercer Street is a mess on any given day. So I don't see how it's going to work logistically. And we have the Soto idea in place. People are accustomed now to going down there uh, taking light rail, finding ways to park, finding ways to navigate. Why not put it down there? And Our, cr- cr- I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. I know there's this fear of the port, but Chris Hansen's doing everything he can to alleviate those fears. Go- going to build the the uh, lander overpass. Um, in everything he's doing is, and he he just keeps getting slapped around. You, so yes, it'll be on. It'll be in Key Arena for sure. Do you, do you buy that? pro hearing argument that some have right now that hey it's not perfect but something's better than nothing well that was the argument when they opened the building right the, the, the day they opened the doors that building was obsolete and it, the, the, the the stark comparison was in the finals when the sonics were playing the bulls in their new united center this I mean, you could you could put Kirina inside the the United Center because it was a palace with great uh, amenities, and instead we we built a, a an arena on the on the cheap. Paul Schneiderman, sports and stuff with Steve Kelly. Steve, you mentioned the uh, the Mariners a couple minutes ago, and let me ask you a baseball question first. Rob Manford, the baseball commissioner, has a somewhat of an agenda in trying to speed up the game. Do you have any thoughts about where they are on that? Amen. I mean, yes. We, we, uh, you have to. I mean, I hate the, I hate the whole idea of instant replay because a game like baseball doesn't need to slow down. So I don't even like that. But I love the idea of having a set amount of times that you can call timeout to go to the mound. Um, I hate this the way the game is evolved. And it's a, Scott Service, the Mariner manager, does it way too much. You start substituting lefty righty pitchers in the sixth inning. So the first five innings are done in an hour and 15 minutes, and it's a sharp game. And then all of a sudden, it just comes to a screeching halt. And, uh, you know, they're stalling to get the reliever warmed up. Uh, So there has to be a time limit, or it has to be a limit on how many times you can go to the mound. You don't have to go out there every inning. You want the game modernized, baseball. Yeah, yeah. Steve, except for the instant replay, I want it back to the Stone Ages when it comes. To <laughs> Steve, uh, when you were with the Times, this is still going on. There's been a big Sounders MLS fascination in Seattle. What's going to happen to the MLS? Will it ever be comparable to say the NBA or NHL? Um, it's it's going to get bigger, and it's go- and it's. I think it's already surpassed a lot of people's expectations. The thing I'm worried about is, I think they're expanding too quickly too many places and I'm not sure there's enough talent and the NHL did this too I think they expanded way too quickly without having enough talent that's a good point um, so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that but um, I think the caliber of the game is has is still way better um, I just I, I'm just waiting for it to plateau though but um, um, and there's a lot of cities that are still struggling I mean you watch the Sounders play on the road and uh, where was it uh, uh, Salt Lake City a couple weeks ago a lot of empty seats in on the 50-yard line kind of seats. I've noticed that. 
it's at, big in Seattle, less so in other U.S. cities. Yeah, MLS. yeah. Um, but boy, it's big here, and it's fun. And the game the other night, I mean, it's like any sport. There's bad games, and and it, you know that happens. But the game the other night where they beat Vancouver, first place Vancouver, and they scored three goals, and they played together, and they played. It was, it was a beautiful night. And Paul Schneiderman, sports and stuff with with Steve Kelly. Steve, would you ever consider? Coming out of retirement no, to write no, a blog. God, no. Let me finish. Let no, me finish, please, Steve. Please. Would you come out and write a blog once or twice a month? No, no. Not even a blog. No, okay. I don't. I don't okay. want to be out there. You're yeah. just done. Yeah, yeah. You're just done. I, I, plus, you know, it's like I always felt like after a while it was like you know thinking about if I'm reading myself, it's like you know it all. I felt like I was trying to entrap you or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get me, get me out of here. Right. Uh, no, it's just you know you just. Feel like all right. You had your run, Mister Know It All. You know, just shut up, <laughs> Steve. You you've mentioned to me that you're interested in an inclusion project, and I know you have a connection to uh, the family of the late civil rights icon Medgar Evers. Can you share with us a little bit what you have in mind? Yeah, after uh, 1963, when Medgar Evers was assassinated, um, Bill Russell called Medgar's brother Charles up in Jackson, Mississippi, and said, "What can I do?" And Charles said, why don't you come down here and we'll run the first ever segregated um, basketball camp in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Bill came down. You can imagine the scene in the city park in Jackson where there's Ku Klux Klan on one side, civil rights advocates in the other. And then in the middle are white and black kids going through a a practice session with Bill Russell and a mixture of white and black coaches. I mean, just think about that and think about how great that was. And at, at night, Bill slept in a bed. Charles slept in a, a rocking chair with a with a gun on his lap. I mean, that's how wow. tense it was. Wow. Um, but it worked, and it was great. So after Charlottesville, I've started thinking about, can we do something like that in Seattle? Thought about it in Charlottesville, but they're right now they don't want any kind of big event. So I'm hoping this spring to get together with the mayor. I, I've already had a lot of good NBA people interested. Uh, Patty Murray's office is, is great ideas and uh, and have a, a weekend celebrating diversity through basketball. So I've always thought basketball is a great uniter for sure. Unless you're Rick Pitino. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. So we've got about 30 seconds left. What does the future hold for Steve Kelly? Share with, share with us what, what's in the cards for you in the, in the future. Um, more of the same, really. I mean, I'm, I'm teaching at a bunch of schools in the Seattle School District, just volunteering, um, volunteering, coaching, traveling, working on a couple of nonprofits. I just want to be involved in the community as much as I can because it's so much fun. I mean, when I'm teaching, I'm having the best time of my life, better than I ever had in sports writing. And I just, I just want to keep having fun and doing as much good in my small little world that I can. Steve, it's just been great having you on. I want to have you back soon. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure.